my name's John. I'm one of the community, community pastors here at Life Vineyard. I love this church. I love the worship team that lead us in worship every day and the guys at the back who wire me up and, and, and make sure we all can hear what's going on. I come in this morning, there's a crowd of people getting ready to do work with the kids and others in the kitchen. They're Everyone is so special and so valued, and we just, and every one of you here, it's so good to be part of God's people. And I've missed you this last couple of weeks because I've had the COVID virus. Uh, it was great because I had great times studying the Word of God, and then there were times when I felt my 70 years of age. Um, actually, I read somewhere that uh, they said that when a preacher reaches the age of 70, his sermons start getting longer and longer. And uh, one of my favorite authors who really inspires me at the moment, I've mentioned before, is James Alexander uh, Stewart. And uh, I was listening, there's one sermon of his on YouTube because he died in the 1950s. There's a sermon of his on YouTube on the Holy Spirit and it's got 19 points. So um, I was thinking about that, but you're pleased to know I haven't got 19 points, just two or three. Last... Um, Last week, Tom gave us a great introduction to the book of Colossians, and, and it was a really powerful message from chapter one. God in control, Jesus pulling the strings of, of history, Christ is the head, the source, and the aim of creation. He is the head, source, and aim of the church. He's totally preeminent. He surpasses all others. He's matchless. He's unequaled. He's unparalleled. He's the most distinguished person ever lived in history. That's our Jesus. And you should all be shouting, hallelujah. Um, and, but is that how you feel today about Jesus and your relationship with him? Are you satisfied with Christ and with your life with him? Maybe you're not. Maybe you're struggling with persistent sins or doubts or you have fears. You have trouble getting along with some people. There's unforgiveness in your life. Failure to be more like Jesus. Welcome to church. We're all the same, aren't we? Be honest. We all have those moments, times, things that that just keep coming up and popping up in our life that we don't want to be there. I want to ask you a question. What position does Jesus occupy in your life? Is he, I think it's up on the screen, maybe not, um, I'm having problems with that. Is he present? You know, he's present in every Christian's life, but many of us are not aware of his presence very much. Made a commitment to Christ, but that's it. Not much more. Or is he prominent? Some Christians, he's prominent. They've been saved. They seek to serve him, to participate in the life of his church, to be faithful to him, maybe even share their faith occasionally or more often than that. And they feel he's prominent. But the real question is, is he preeminent in your life? Is he number one? Is he unsurpassed by any other person or thing? Has Jesus the number one place in your life? 
the old hymn comes to mind. Now none but Christ can satisfy. No other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. Only Christ can satisfy. And only as we make him preeminent will we enjoy real satisfaction in Jesus. Let me mention James Alexander Stewart again, because I found another biography, biography of his this week and I've been reading it. He uh, grew up and he loved football. In fact, he was a very good footballer and he was being watched by one of the Glasgow football clubs. But at the age of 14, he became a Christian and he gave up the football immediately and he began an evangelistic ministry. I mentioned last time that uh, he, when he started his evangelism ministry, he was still in short trousers. So and I said then, uh, there's more people in short trousers today, so that's a good sign. Um, <laughs> but he said, before 15, I got a sight of the nail-pierced hands and the feet of my Saviour that faded everything else. I got a sight of the nail-pierced hands and feet of my Savior that faded everything else. And at 18, he was working in a, a factory, a tailoring factory, and um, he was called in by his manager uh, to speak to me, he said, James, we like you, we want you to stay here, you're a good worker, and if you keep on doing uh, well, you'll rise and be a success. And then he said, but you must give up your preaching, you can be a quiet Christian. And James thought, yes, I could be, if I had not seen the vision, the nail-pierced hands and feet of Jesus. Have you seen the vision? Have you seen the nail-pierced hands of Jesus? The love that draws us and compels us to say, yes, Jesus, yes. The decision wasn't hard for James to make. He gave up his job and he was free for God. And at 19, he was preaching up and down the country and before long, right across Europe. Uh, just let me just say, preeminence does not mean that you're all to become evangelists or worship song leaders or whatever else. But what we say, we say yes to is Jesus' plan for each of our lives. He is to be the head, the source, and the aim of your life. What position does Jesus have in your life today? I want to take... Take us to the nail-pierced hands and feet of Jesus, to the place where you'll find satisfaction in life and for all eternity. Um, and I haven't got anything on the screen, so I can't show you it. I bought a book from, uh, by James Stewart. I had to get it from the United States, uh, and it cost me a little bit of money. And, uh, and then I got an email that said, um, delivery postponed or deliberately cancelled and uh, oh it's there delivery failed and I thought is this true is this real how could this happen and uh, and I was worried and should I click, uh, click on the link and I'm sure you've had emails like that there's another one I have there that um, that's the same thing it's from Norton Security saying uh, my account's due is 
time's up, I need to pay more. And that one was easy to suss out because I don't have a Norton security on my computer. But, you know, the Colossian church was being blitzed with false emails, false messages, attempts to deceive the church into activities that would detract and distract them from Jesus that could do them serious harm. And what's the solution? Well, we'll look at Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses um, 8 to 15. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spirits of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, I mean, just this is unbelievable. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Father, oh, help us to see the nail-pierced hands of Jesus today. Help us to see the love that was in the heart of Jesus that gave his life for each one of us, that suffered that cruel agony on the cross. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see that Jesus will become totally preeminent in our lives. Holy Spirit, speak through what I bring this morning and may your people hear the things you want them to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says the answer to the Colossian deception is be so full of Christ so satisfied in him that nothing else can tempt you away from Christ. And in the passage, if you read the whole passage and, and right through Colossians, there's a lot of references. A lot of times he says, in Christ and in him. And it's the personal emphasis. All that we have because we are united to Christ. Someone says, um, heaven will not be a theological question. It'll be about knowing Jesus. And lots of times the word all appears. We're going to look at three of them. The first one is all Christ's fullness is ours. All Christ's fullness is ours. Um, only one person warrants our allegiance and trust, and that's Jesus. And why? Because Christ is a human being full of God. 
All the fullness of God dwells in Christ. That's why he is superior to all the philosophies, the Gnostic philosophies believe uh, the body was evil and only the soul mattered. So the fullness of God in a human body was an impossibility for them. But they wanted to sow that into the church to detract from Jesus. Jesus chose to make his home in a human body. He was comfortable in a human body. He chose to be vulnerable in a human body. You know, what does that say about us and our bodies? Are you looking after your body? Are you taking care of it? the, The dignity of the human body. The dignity. There is still a man in whom is the fullness of God in heaven today at the right hand of his father. A human body. That's, that's God. The fullness of the divine nature of all the perfections of God, all, you know, the eternity and the immensity, the omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience, immutability, all those big words, self-existence and so on. It's so amazing. What do we know about these things? Human beings are not God. If we are to understand the finite, the infinite, the infinite God must reveal himself to us through the word of God and through his son. His son who came as a human being. The word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could see something of God. There was something about this man that made the best of men feel they were in deepest need. And yet, the worst of people felt drawn to him. Here was goodness that was attractive and winsome and compelling. It was goodness that was approachable. Here was goodness that was not meticulous but merciful, not standing on a pedestal to be worshipped but bending low in service over the lost. Here was goodness that wasn't pharisaical but friendly, not terrible but tender. And in that very tenderness and friendliness, there was still something kingly or regal about him that made men's consciences flutter and tremble. Children sat on his knees, and yet strong, hard fisherman Peter, conscience stricken at the moment of the greatest, his greatest fishing prosperity, found his knees giving way under him and crying in despite of himself, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, never did meekness and majesty so blend and become so beautiful as this wonderful man, Jesus. Dismiss him? We can't. Resist him? Well, billions have found in him a savior who is irresistible. Nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3. Do you know this amazing man, God-man, Jesus? And then there's even more in the next verse, verse 10. Christ, you know, you and I are given this fullness that was in Jesus to you. You you and I are given fullness in Christ. Christ Christ's fullness in us. 
Um, you know, that statement crowns Paul's argument because Christ is fully God and fully human. Believe, believers share in his fullness. In him denotes that vital union that we have with the Savior in which our every spiritual need is met. Possessing Jesus, we possess all. There's no need for any other philosophies, none of the rituals of Mosaic law that was talked about a bit later in this chapter, or spirit beings and angels that were being worshipped. All that was needed and all that is needed is Jesus. All his fullness is given to us. Every need met. Can we not be totally satisfied then? All his fullness becomes our... I was looking up, I was thinking, what's that all about? And I looked up some Bible verses, John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and destroy. This is all about, you know, this is actually the Satan and and his followers and the worldly philosophers who are bringing this deceptive message to to the Colossian church. He says, I have come that you may have life and life in abundance. That's fullness. Acts 2.4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Receive Jesus, you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We're to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We're to go back again and again to God and say, fill me with more, I've lost some. We leak, don't we, as someone said. John 15, I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. Fullness of joy. Are we joyful? Colossians 2, he speaks about the full treasures of complete understanding that we'll know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's there to be tapped into. From the fullness of his grace, John 1, from the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. That's the fullness that Jesus pours into our lives. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's the heart of God. The fullness that he, that he put in Jesus is in us. What a wonderful Savior. All his fullness freely available to us. His love is our security. His wisdom is our guidance. His knowledge is our teaching. His power is our protection. His justice is our certainty. His mercy, our comfort. And his immutability, our reason to trust him. He holds nothing back. It's like he opens the recesses of the mountain of God and invites us to dig in the mines for all the hidden treasures All the fullness of Jesus becomes our fullness. Are you full of him, full of his Holy Spirit? That's the first, isn't that? What more do we need? For he says, all our sins are forgiven. You know, the old nature is dead and buried. My kids had a cat. The cat got killed on the road outside and I brought the body back and uh, they wanted to have a funeral service. So we buried the cat in the garden. And a few weeks later, they wanted to dig it up. <laughs> and I persuaded them that, that wasn't a good idea. And, uh, but you know, your old nature, your old sinful nature, if you're a Christian, has been buried. And it's not very nice to dig it up. That's how bad it is. You don't want to dig it up. It will smell. It will be rotten. And it will make you smell and be rotten in the wrong way. It's gone. It's buried. Leave it buried. Through his death on the cross, Christ forgave us our sins, all of them. We are fully forgiven. 
every sin in the world is accounted for in the cross. Every sin you're aware of, every sin you can imagine, every sin that you ponder over and would like to do, every sin you consider unforgivable, the worst sin that a human being can commit, the sin that makes you most angry, the little sin that you don't take too seriously, all that sin, it's all can be forgiven through the cross, through the nail-pierced hands. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Isn't it wonderful? Are you sure that you're forgiven? That God accepts you because of the cross? Or you think sometimes if I sincerely try to please God, he'll accept me, I'll be more acceptable. Not true. Or if I actively serve in the church and I'm really faithful and I work hard, then he'll accept me. Not true. Well, my conversion was very emotional. I had lots of tears. I, when I think about that, that makes God accept me. Well, no, that does, thinking about it doesn't make you any more acceptable. Having tears doesn't make you any more acceptable. Well, if, what if I try to avoid some sins and, and I, when I succeed in doing them, God must consider me more acceptable. No. You see, it's not your doing. It's what Jesus did on the cross. You are justified. I think Tom talked about it last week. I like it just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God sees you today if you're a Christian and you've come to the cross and received forgiveness. There's two pictures in this passage. Every person has a debt bill from God. You know, it's not good when you get a big bill in and maybe some of you are worried about the electricity bills and the gas bills, but, you know, Jesus had a Roman debt bill nailed to the cross. It was the Roman charge of sedition. He claimed to be the king of the Jews. He was innocent of that crime. He was the rightful king. In fact, he was the only person ever without a debt bill to God. But God took all our debts, all our bills because of our sin, and nailed them to the cross. He applied all of our guilt to Jesus. The nail-pierced hands were taking your guilt and mine. He applied all of our guilt to Jesus and judged him instead of us. When a criminal, ha criminal had served his punishment, the word tetestai, tetelestai, it's a Greek word, tetelestai, was written across their bill. It simply meant paid in full. I don't know if you've ever had a big bill and you, and, uh, and you, you get it stumped. You used, to, you used to stump it, paid in full. That's really wonderful. But it's meant that the person was no longer punishable for their crime. Jesus' last words on the cross were, Tetelestai, it is finished. It's paid in full. John 19.30, it's finished. He was saying, I've now paid your debt in full. He has cancelled our debt. 
He's wiped the slate clean. We are free. And, uh, and that passage speaks about that, about wiping out the handwriting. And in Paul's days, documents were written on papyrus or an animal skin, and it was expensive. The ink that they used had no acid in it, so it just it didn't penetrate the same way as our ink today does. It, um, uh, and so if a scribe wanted a, a new piece of I was going to say paper, a new piece of skin to write on. He would take an old bit and he would just wipe all the writing off it. And that's the picture that's there in this passage. You and I owed a debt of sin, but Jesus took our punishment and God wiped out the debt. He wiped it right off. We have only to ask his forgiveness and the record of our sin is gone completely. In God's record book of your life, there will be a large blank space beside your name and the words forgiven, paid in full. I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's, use that as an imagination. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's just wonderful. No condemnation. I... Yeah, I, I wonder. All our sins are forgiven. And then after that, Paul says that he has disarmed the enemy. Uh, I just want to read that passage again to you from, from Colossians because it's, it's so exciting. In Colossians 3, Colossians 2. Um, he says... And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. He made a public spectacle uh, on them, of them. Paul affirms that Christ through his cross has disarmed all the spiritual forces of evil that are opposed to God. He has stripped them just as a conquered army was stripped of his weapons and armor. And then Paul says, God made a public spectacle of him. The picture is from Roman times. A, a, a triumphant general leading the victory parade. The conqueror, Jesus, riding at the, the, the conqueror, conquering king, riding at, in the front in his chariot, leads his troop through the streets of the city and behind them trails a wretched company of vanquished kings and officers and soldiers who are on their way to be executed. Christ is the conquering hero. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him. I know three things just note about this. This has already happened over 2,000 years ago. That defeat of Satan and all the evil forces took place because of the nail-pierced hands. Satan was disarmed. He cannot condemn. He cannot influence unless we allow him. It's happened. The age, we live in the age of the kingdom. The, the, the enemy is defeated. And P, Peter says in, in his letter, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, don't, I mean, it's not where we stop at resist. But we're, we're to resist until he flees because 
We have authority, and he is a defeated enemy. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He's defeated. You are over him. Like Jesus. You are over him. Tell him to get lost. <laughs> Sing the praises of Jesus. The devil, the enemy hates those praises. It reminds him of heaven. Reminds him of all that he's lost. Reminds him that he's on the way to, be his, to his execution. Secondly, the enemy is powerless today over us. He's a deceiver. He lies to you and me. He has been stripped of his weapons. Don't believe his lies. We have freedom in Christ through the nail-pierced hands, through his complete victory. We don't have to be captive to wrong ideas. We don't have to be defeated Christians. We don't have to be captive to guilt or condemnation or fear or the deceptive influence and power of the devil. Be captivated by Christ. Be captivated by Christ. And lastly, we have the aroma of Life is what Paul says in that passage if you read on in 2 Corinthians 2. The enemy has the aroma of death. He is doomed. The lake of fire awaits him. Do you know the unsaved in the northeast in England today carry, many of them carry the aroma of death. They need to see us living in victory, showing the beauty of Jesus. Are you carrying the aroma of life, positive, joyful, satisfied with Jesus, his life in you, full of his love and joy and peace, overcoming life's problems, positive and hopeful in attitude, even in the times of suffering and trial that we all go through, living in the victory of Christ, displaying the beauty, the fragrance, the wonderful fragrance, the aroma of Christ that the world will see. What Jesus. As I was preparing this, I found myself singing a lot one song some of you probably won't know, it was written back in 1981 by Chris Bowater. And it's just simple words. I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's omnipotent, magnificent, or glorious, victorious. I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What more do you need? Can you make him preeminent in your life? Not can, will you? He's put everything in you for that.